Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Coming up, the build-up to Birmingham 2022 has begun. The first six Guernsey athletes selected for next year's Commonwealth Games have been announced. More on that to come. Plus, we'll look back at the Siam Cup on a big day at Foots Lane, but a mixed one for the green and whites. And we'll have a look ahead to what's coming up over the next seven days too. I'm Tony Kerr. Alongside me is Gareth Prevo. Hi, Tony. And Rob Battis. Hi, Tone. Uh, great to see you guys. Um, let's start, shall we, with the Commonwealth Games. Um, we now know the first six athletes heading to Birmingham next summer. Uh, from athletics, Cameron and Alistair Chalmers, triathlete Josh Lewis, and cyclist Sam Culverwell, Mark Cox, and Seb Tremlett. Um, I guess not unexpected to see uh, some of those names in there. Uh, Rob, what do you make of this first batch? Well, you can't complain about those six. I mean, they are top-notch, um, I suppose... Um, certainly five are. Mark Cox, how, I don't believe, achieved the actual standard set down, but um, was very unlucky and probably would have done if he hadn't hit some sort of horse problems on one of the motorways during the uh, national time trials. Yeah, really pleased for him because, yeah, as you say, he had a real uh, challenging qualification period. He's very unlucky. And from whatever all I um, hear and see about him, he's clearly, of I think, of the, the, the necessary standard. So no, prop, no qualms at all about those six. Um, they are our elite at the moment. Um, there's a couple of others who I would consider elite but haven't been selected. I don't know why uh, why they haven't been selected at this stage, but obviously the Commonwealth Games Association have got their reasons. Just just touching on some of those, obviously Cameron um, has been to Olympics this summer, competed there. Alistair, former youth Commonwealth champion. Um, Sam Caldwell's got a youth Commonwealth medal as well. Um, so there's real, real Commonwealth pedigree in there, Gareth. Yeah, I mean, like Rob says, the, these were sort of um, pretty obvious uh, candidates for the team, um, and and they and the great thing is, I think about the whole all six of them, they're people who are only getting better as well. I mean, they were pretty much nailed on selections anyway, but you know for a fact they'll probably give it another four years and they'll be even better then. So, um, in in terms of quality, there's certainly no arguments on, on those who have been selected. And we've got a few more places to be allocated as well. Um, Rob, I know you've got some quite strong opinions about the size of, of no. <laughs> about the size of uh, team that Guernsey should be sending to a competition of this level. Um, I, I know there are people that will disagree with you, but anyway, let's have a look at p- potentially some of the other names that who, who might or should be in contention. Well, for start, I mean, I'm I've been looking really hard at this and seeing a which. Guernsey sports people are definitely of this level. And seeing as you've got no shooters um, um, competing in this, this Commonwealth Games... Yeah, I think really, we said six to Gold Coast. That's right. No rifle shooters, etc. That leaves some big, big gaps. Um, and I've been looking across the sports, and I'm thinking about elite sports people who are definitely of this level, and of international level. And that, that number is very, very short um, at the moment. It really, to me, it comes down to Lucy Beer, who's a world indoor bowls champion and is an absolute class act on the bowls greens, indoors or outdoors. And you've got Todd Brio, who's played at Commonwealth before, um, world championships, etc. Um, quality bowler. But thereafter, you look through all the other sports... And there's nobody that really stands out to me who's being, you must pick them to go. And we're hoping, we're talking, I mean, uh, or should I say David Harry and the Commonwealth Games Association, we're talking back in the summer, uh, hoping to fill 28 spots. Well, I'm sorry at the moment, I'm struggling to get into double figures. It's, um, it's a big question. Who do you send? I mean, 
do you just send people who are young, promising young young swimmers who have worked very very hard, same as athletes, um, promising young athletes, promising young cyclists, thinking that they are they may well get there one day, but should they be um, sent at this stage when the standard at this the Commonwealth Games has been proven to be very very high, and there's stacks of evidence in the past of individuals going to the Commonwealth Games Association and it's been a real bad experience in terms of the competition in that they've been severely exposed and I don't think we should be doing that. I mean I guess the argument though is that you know living on an island um, you know off-island competition opportunities um, of, of a sort of motivating kind you know aren't that easy to come by and that, that to give people the opportunity to represent Guernsey and to get away and, and, and have a I taste don't of necessarily buy that one I mean I think people who are really really uh, pushing for their um, in love with their sport and want to get to the top um, I'm thinking people like Lee Merrin in the past Dale Garland Sebastian Prio at the moment they know what they need to do to get to the top, shall we say, and they go out and do it. Um, we mustn't fall into this trap of saying, ah, we've been given these many spaces, we need to fill them. I don't think that should be the case. There are a number of really exciting young athletes, I say athletes in the broader term, who I'd like to see going to Birmingham next year because I think they are on a real upward trajectory. So I'm not against sending young people who who are a little bit of a risk, but I don't see the point of sending people who are clearly not of the the required standard and whose careers have plateaued long ago in some cases. Um, I think we should be looking to... It shouldn't be a development um, event, but I think in some cases um, you can make arguments for that. I, I hark back to... But 2002, when we, when I was involved in the Commonwealth Games selection, and long before we had the quirky um, standards um, which we've got now and the criteria that's been set in more recent years, and how Lee Merrion got to the Manchester Commonwealth Games, um, he didn't have any standards in the um, in a couple of months short of the games, but went away to the nationals and was clearly um, on a a severe upward trajectory and, and I think at the Nationals came in a tenth of the second of the court required standard and we saw it as selectors as a right that he get selected at the last minute because he was worthy of going and was certainly in form anyway he went he did a decent job and his career took off where did it take him to Olympics and being each one of our you know finest all-time sports people that's what I want to see. And I can there's a two or three people, um, or perhaps four or five people um, across the sport, so I think I'd like to see um, get a chance. Um, but they, at the moment, they haven't got standards. One thing that stands out as well about this first six, obviously, is they're all men. And a couple of people commented on, on the post we put up. Uh, now, clearly, you can't just sort of magic an equal split up out thin air. If, if the quality is there on one side or the other, then then you have to you have to pick what's there. But no, Tony, I think that's you know, I, you want to see um, women, women there as well as men. Um, but it should never be about of even numbers. We've got to be you've got to just tackle it and see who is the the ability to go. And to my mind, and I'm just very surprised, but there must be a very good reason about it that Lucy Beer's not involved. Um, might be a personal issue, I don't know. But Lucy Beer would certainly be a 
an elite person who should be, you know, named. Um, it just so happened, and you know, if we were if we were incorporating indoor bowls, Alison Merrion would be as well, you know, unquestionably. But it just so happens at the moment, I just don't think we've got many elite women sports people over here. Simple as that. Is that just um, sort of the way the cookies crumbled at the moment, the way you know, the, the way things have turned out, or you know, is it a sign that we should be, or the authorities, the administrators of sport, and particularly Commonwealth sports, uh, should be doing more to encourage local sports women to get to this kind of level? Well, we've had them in the past. We've had plenty of shooters. Um, we've had um... we've had swimmers. I mean, the likes of sort of Helen Watts back in the day, and Gail Strowbridge went when I was um, down in Melbourne for 2006. Table tennis, Alice Loveridge and Dawn Morgan were in Glasgow not that long ago. They were well worth their places. You know, it just so happens at the moment, neither oh, Dawn is still playing, but is not of the level she was possibly then. Um, Alice Loveridge has retired early. You know, she was at obvious pick. I mean, you'd have thought. I mean, if shooting had been there, Nikki Trevor would have been probably a, yeah, exactly. probably very yeah. high up on the list. But yeah. um, you know, it, as as things work out in various Commonwealth Games, Tony, you know, certain sports are in, certain sports are out. I mean, Guernsey's best woman sportsman at the moment is male Letitia, but she's not going to be going to Commonwealth Games. So <laughs> yeah, so I don't think that comes into it at all. Yeah, well, we've only got six so far. There's a few more names to be um, selected, obviously. So we wait and see what the full makeup of the team is and who else gets in there. For now, though, congratulations to the six um, who've been selected so far. Uh, fingers crossed one of them can land that long-awaited medal. It'd be interesting to see, actually, how you know how, de- how determined our Commonwealth Games selection people are in actually filling those 28 spots because they have been you know quoted in the past as fearing for our future in terms of numbers if we don't fill those spots but i mean this is a big debate do we just send 28 regardless of their ability or do we do a proper selection job and only send those who are of the ability i'm certainly of the latter but i know there are plenty who sit the other side of fence and i respect their argument it's just that I'm not going to change my mind on that one. If you've got a strong opinion either way, give us a shout on social media. At GSY Press Sport is the place to go. Um, as I say, congratulations to those six. Looking forward to uh, seeing how they get on um, in a few months' time or next summer. Um, uh, I suppose a long winter of uh, hard work ahead for them. But um, yeah, I'm sure very pleased to be part of it. Right, that'll be it for part one. When we come back, we'll be talking Siam Cup. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. As I say, do give us a follow on social media at GSY Press Sport. It's a place to go. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get every episode uh, delivered straight to you. Now, the return of the Siam Cup. Uh, and I think this noise is still ringing in your ears, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> the bells, the bells. <laughs> oh, I've had a headache all week. <laughs> it was... Uh, a pretty fervent atmosphere, as we said, in the uh, stand. A bit, a bit too loud for you, Rob? Um, it wasn't so much the noise. It was, to say, these bells were extremely irritating. <laughs> More irritating than those blessed vuvuzelas we've had at Marathi's in the past. And, oh, good grief. Whoever's idea was that to, to liven the atmosphere, was, it was a bad idea. Uh, they really are irritating. <laughs> <laughs> and the drinks have been flowing. And I think, uh, yeah, any, any sense of holding back on those bells yeah. would have long gone. It's one of those things that when you turn up and you sort of see the Garen Sander wash with these cowbells ready 
to be wrong before anyone sat down. You do start thinking, oh, yeah, we got that again, haven't we? <laughs> um, I've sort of got used to tuning out those sort of new noises. So by the time the game started, I wasn't really affected by it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was pretty persistent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the return of the Sun Cup, I thought, you know, a triumph in itself, um, given the circumstances. I think the fourth attempt they'd had at getting this centenary match on. Um, what did you make of the atmosphere? I thought, standing at the back of the stand filming, that it was pretty electric, um, I must admit, I loved it. Um, there is just something so different about a Siam Cup day, um, either at uh, Foots Lane or in at St Peter in Jersey. Um, as much as I love going to watch any rugby game at Foots Lane, um, Siam Cup has a very different sort of environment. Is you get the you get like what you'd perhaps call the the casual fans or or the corporates, as, as some might call them, um, who aren't used to being there perhaps most of the time, but. Um, uh, they they get their money's worth and they and they certainly add to the the whole um, ambience of the occasion and yeah I thought on Saturday considering it was sort of first game under lights as well that probably added to it um, certainly the the long day probably added to it being in that tent for certain people probably made them a bit more boisterous than they would usually be but. Um, uh, it was great just to have the sign back on, on the agenda. And uh, yeah, like you say, Tony, I thought the atmosphere was fantastic. And Rob, we spoke about that shirt presentation ahead of it. I know you were very impressed um, with the sense of occasion that the rugby club um, is able to build with, with sort of touches like that and, and, and creating a sense of, of belonging at the club. What did you make of how it was delivered on the day or on the evening as it was? I don't think you could say um, any, there weren't any faults um, regarding the day in terms of the build-up. So it was a Apart from the final result of that, second, that last game, it was pretty much a perfect day. A great crowd, good entertainment. Uh, just a shame Guernsey couldn't score a couple of tries in those early minutes when they were absolutely all over Jersey. Um, um, it, was, um, it was thrilling stuff, but in the end, you just have to put your hands up and say, well done, Jersey, for absolutely outstanding defensive discipline. Um, they were... Wonderful from the first minute to the last. I mean, I just just couldn't see us getting past them, could you? I mean, and um, we had all our big guns there. Um, yeah, sure, we made some mistakes, but you know, you, you've got to hand it to them. And they, boy, they were happy at the end. Yeah, they, uh... <laughs> I've never seen a Jersey team that emotional at the end, to be honest. And um, it was it was almost quite moving when you sort of saw a couple of their guys sat on the pitch after the game on, on FaceTime to their families, wherever they were back in Jersey. I think there was um, uh, some family back in South Africa and they were just in tears, just having done what they had achieved. It, it was... It, Although it was difficult to take as a Guernseyman, it was sort of like, well, at least this shows what this this occasion means to everyone. Yeah, I mean, it clearly means a whole lot to Miles Landick. Um, we were sort of bemoaning the Jersey Reds all week, you know, in the terms of what they were, how they were treating the eligibility um, issues, etc. Um, but quite clearly, you, they want to win so badly and they prepare so well. Um, and it was, you know, just going in the end, you've got to say fair play to them. I mean, I, I bet Miles was absolutely fed up with the way, you know, the media were sort of tackling the eligibility issue beforehand. But um, he deserves a lot of praise for how he prepared that team. Just um, going back to the atmosphere, Tony, and also sort of like the, the, the perhaps lack of knowledge in some of the non-rugby fans. There was there was a moment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's bad, spells, but there was a moment when, um, when uh, the... Jersey kicker was lining up for a conversion and, and those the bells were going and there was a lot of booing from the crowd who just sort of did it in the pantomime way of it. They didn't mean any harm by it. 
But one of the Jersey bench looked round with absolute disgust at the crowd that they were making a noise and not doing the respect the kicker thing. And almost in that one moment, I thought, we're not doing ourselves any favours here because you could just tell Jersey, as one of their players mentioned afterwards, he sort of called it a hostile atmosphere. I think that's probably the wrong word for it. It was very much a, a partisan atmosphere, yes, but um, nobody meant any harm by the, the cheering while lining up a kick. But it's not something that you sort of see very often in rugby and they didn't take very kindly to it during the game. And I think that helped in their defence for sure. But listen, when you look at it, I mean, if one of those Owen Thomas kicks had gone over and one of them struck the post, it could have easily gone the other way. Six inches the other way, it would have been over and we would have won the game. Um, regardless of the performance, the number of handling errors, that we, we'd be all over Guernsey and saying, what an outstanding display, blah, 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 how brilliant we were. And that just shows the, you know, the, the small margins. You know, we've lost Jersey, get all the praise. But when you analyse it, we lost by a few inches. It could have so easily gone the other way. So, you know, as I say, we're praising Miles Landick for his preparation, but I'm not going to say anything negative about the Guernsey boys because I thought they gave it absolutely everything. It didn't quite work out on the day. And, um, but we are a good, very good rugby team as well. So, I just think it's amazing... Even in the, I mean, I've been reporting on science for about 15, 16 years now, and this, how the game has evolved and how professional both outfits are. I mean, yes, there were, there were errors on both sides last week, but it was a full-on 80 minutes. It was the just, it was just a battle for 80 minutes. It never let up for one iota. And um, just, I was saying to someone afterwards, sort of like, you you need a gap to sort of break a, to breach a defence, and there's never gaps opening up. There just weren't gaps, and I know Jordan's a perfectionist, and he he talks about the chances they miss, opportunities miss, what have you. Um, I still think a mixture of the occasion where it's very different pressure to anything else they face, and also just the the intensity of the Jersey defence. I mean, our defence was probably just as equal to Jersey, but actually we had more of the ball, so there's shone a bit more. I mean, that in the after 80 minutes is up when Doug Horrocks made a tackle pr- pretty much on halfway, straight over the ball, jackling, got the penalty. It was just phenomenal. And he'd been going at it for 80 minutes nonstop. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't pick out just Doug. Every player put their heart and soul into that. And it was just... I mean, just going back sort of 15 years, after an hour, you'd see a lot more tries because the game would open up. And nowadays, that's just not happening. It's just such athleticism in both sides it's amazing how far rugby's come in the Channel Islands I think obviously the build up as Rob spoke about before was uh, somewhat dominated in the end by this discussion about eligibility about the strength of the teams and particularly the selections um, that Jersey made in the end Uh, here's what Miles Landick the Reds athletic coach uh, had to say at full time you know, how close was it last year? They were still close games. So I think we have found a right balance. We never went away from a, right, uh, from a, from a wrong balance. Um, you know, so hopefully now, politics aside, we can really just work, work together um, and create more atmospheres in games like this because it was amazing. I think the crowd would agree as well. Do you think they can put politics aside now, given that Jersey did you know, pull this sort of uh, this late trick on, on Guernsey almost in, in terms of selection. Do you think they'll bury the hatchet before next year's doubleheader? Because we've had the dates announced for, for a doubleheader, one in each island in May. It's a very difficult one. Um, I, you look what they've done in recent years in terms of trying to make the competition a fairer one and um, negate um, some of Jersey's big advantages in terms of the number of professionals they've got available to them. But when you analyse it, you know, how do you do it on a year-to-year basis because quite clearly um, we've made advances 
we might make bigger, even bigger advances for next year. And by the time the match comes, and you know, we may well be far above Jersey Athletic in terms of ability. And then it becomes a situation where it's an unfair contest on our behalf. We don't know. It's quite clearly there's very, very, very little between the two sides now in terms of Raiders and Jersey Athletic, which for the, for the people who don't really know is basically their reserves, not their first team. Because if it was their first team or all their professionals, they'd wallop us. Full stop. Um, to me, the important thing is the actual you know, the series and how you and analysing it over a longer period. And we're still getting this, you know, win, 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 win for Jersey in general terms. Um, and to me, the competition will lose interest and become stale if that continues forever and a day. And I've said it also relating to the women. You know, the women's game is very exuberant at the moment. We, we, we're, we're sort of... Um, we're um, oozing platitudes relating to the, you know, our performance and the women's side of things. Great, but it's not good for the competition if we win it. We've won it round nine on the trot. If we win 15, you know, I mean, you think, oh, come on, you know. It's, what? It, it's a boring event. We need both islands to win on a regular basis. And Miles is, <laughs> you know, I, I see where he's coming from. He's saying, yes, it has become closer. It was a great thrill, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, what happened? Jersey won again. And until start, until we start winning again on a regular basis, the, you know, it, those well, words. We've never won on a regular basis. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, you, and you, to be, and you have to look at it and think, well, perhaps that's always going to be the case. You know? To be fair, I will say we won 2018. Was it 2021? I think out the last four Siams, they've been very good close games, and we could have won probably all four of them. And I'm sure Jordan would probably tell you exactly where we could have won each one. When, it, when Jersey turned professional and they didn't have the agreements, it got silly. When we were losing 70-odd nil and we never stood a chance in hell, that's when it was. There was no point in it. Um, they've certainly sorted that out to a degree. Um, you can never, I think in an inter-club game, you'll never have rules as such. It's always going to be an agreement, almost a friendly agreement perhaps, or not as it turned out to be. Um, but... As long as it's competitive, and yes, as long as both sides over, say, a 10-year period haven't lost every time. You know, if Guernsey won, say, three out of 10, I don't think that's a big problem if we're competitive in, in all of them. And we, we could have quite easily won this year. It's, I think it was a great contest, and that's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a one-point game this year. It wasn't long ago. There was two points in it, was it, over in St. Peter? Um Okay, well, let's leave the, the men's game there. Uh, I think I echo the congratulations to Jersey because that, for them, will be a famous victory. I mean, um, as we said, the, the, the way they celebrated it, it obviously meant a huge amount and, and the, you know, the way they've been, um, the way that victory's been enjoyed by rugby followers in Jersey, uh, you know, they obviously enjoyed it. And the amount of far work puns I managed to get into my <laughs> report was quite phenomenal. <laughs> I, did, I did notice when yeah, we, Jordy was doing his post-match interviews and there were fireworks going on in the background. I thought, it's a bit cruel, you know. <laughs> yeah, one final thing about the um, legislation for this competition. I, I just hope that, that, you know, when the two clubs do sit down and discuss it, next time around that they um, basically come out with a, the number one decision will be 
no bells. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you there in the negotiating room. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the women's game then, um, because it was a much better or much more enjoyable morning in terms of results-wise on the old club pitch. And the, the vets got their hands back on the Nash Cup, which was nice to see. And uh, Jim Elliott... Yeah, that was a all a very strange thing. It was. The Jim Elliott on both sides. for Jersey. Yeah. Well, you know, all these people playing from the veterans thing, Leighton Batty's... Is he is he veteran already? Oh. <laughs> you know, Matt Thomas and Nick Merrion. I didn't didn't quite get it. And then us handing them people like Jim Elliott to help them out. Well, I think yeah, two of the highlights of my day came in the vets game because um, Leighton came off the bench and he didn't. He he wanted a bit of a battle. He, he wasn't going to get one because by that time Guernsey were well ahead and were obviously going to win. So instead, he provided one of the best offload out the back door passes I've seen for many a year, and he'll be living off that for the next few months probably. Um, but then um, the the sight of Jim Elliott in a red shirt for the second half was very unusual. But when he um, took out Jim Raynard, who's known as Big Jim Raynard for a reason, because he's one of the most powerful men to ever have played for Guernsey, he took him out with a head-high tackle. And if it had been any other of the Jersey team, I think Jim Raynard might have taken a bit of umbrage. He got up, saw who it was, and he gave the biggest wry smile to Jim <laughs> Elliott that I've ever seen. It just really made me laugh. It was a great moment. I'm saying, what is the age qualification for the Nash? Does anybody know? I don't know. I, I sort of always assumed it was an over 35s game, but I don't think that they were all over 35. Actually, I think both sides had people under 35. I mean, if you go f- as veteran, just being an experienced player, Leighton certainly qualifies under that because he's been playing for about 15 years at senior yeah, maybe level. If they've played 300 matches or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, once uh, yeah, once the vets had done their stuff, it was over to the women. And Rob, as you say, a ninth straight victory for Guernsey uh, in the w- the women's Siam. Um, a big win it was as well, 46-7. Some fantastic tries uh, scored in that one. I was there uh, filming for, for most of it in, in and around some uh, duties in the, in the tent. So I was running back and forth a bit and clambering up that rickety scaffolding. Um, but yeah, as I say, some cracking tries up first. Uh, Amy Fallais with the opener. Uh, Megan Seward scored a, a really good team move as well in the, uh, in the first half. And uh, yeah, a, a richly deserved victory, Gareth. But all the more impressive given the number of new faces in there. Yeah, it, was, um, it, it just really showed the strength and depth that um, Steve Evans, our ladies coach, can call upon now. I mean, it was great to see so many debutants and just the enthusiasm they bring to the to the match um, but I mean to be able to bring on the likes of Rachel Merrion Daisy Travers Lucy Pratt off the bench I mean and they are really good players and that, that's what sort of proved decisive second half let's be fair for the first half an hour of the game it was a really really good contest and Jersey probably had far more of the ball in terms of just possession I, I imagine they probably had about 65% Guernsey's defence was excellent for that time and then when they got opportunity, opportunities they made the most of them they were very clinical um, I must admit it was it must have been one of the hardest things to do to pick a player at the match out that Chelsea Blondel was awarded it at the end and she had a great game she was she was involved in a lot of tries and she had a really good game but I mean you could you could make a case with probably about 20 of the Guernsey players it was that sort of performance um I'm not sure how strong sort of Jersey were getting stronger before sort of COVID hit and I get the feeling they've sort of perhaps taken a step back in terms of their experience I think they've got a few new faces themselves um, but yeah, just sort of being around that Guernsey Raiders ladies sort of squad this season, I've been to a couple of their games now, they, they really 
put everything into it, but they really just enjoy being out there. It's, it's just being sort of taking part in the sport is sort of the main thing for them. And their enthusiasm is, is just really infectious. I mean, so just just their celebrations, they wouldn't have needed to drink. They were just they were just really on such a high having won that game. And for sort of basically novices to be able to say already in their career, I've had the enjoyment of winning a Siam trophy match. That's great for them. I just hope it's, um, it continues. Yeah, and certainly no one enjoyed it more than their captain, Kaylee Oliver. Uh, first time captaining uh, against these women in a side and a victory for her. And uh, yeah, as I say, she definitely enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, it's literally been the best game of my entire rugby career so far. It's my first I am, so to get that win is like the best thing ever, really. Yeah, well, it's been obviously quite a lot of pressure because the ladies haven't lost one in like eight years. So, yeah, to get this trophy today means everything. So, oh, God, literally, I'm just so happy. Yeah, obviously, you know, on the day there were ups and downs and stuff. And like, we had no idea what Jersey were going to be like, really. So we just all knew, like, we had to go out and play our best game and deal with them on the day, obviously. But I think every single girl on the team put their absolute all in it to get that win. So it's literally a team win. Kaylee Oliver there. Uh, yeah, obviously very much enjoying that moment. And, uh, and why not? And let's hear just quickly as well from their coach, Steve Evans. You know, I think it was a it was a good game of rugby, and it's nice to get the win. But I think more more important than that is, is it shows the standard of ladies rugby in the Channel Islands, which I think is a good thing for girls and ladies sports. Like I said, I'm absolutely delighted with the win and the way we played. This is a a system we've been practicing since pre-season, and to see it come together, particularly in Jersey, is is sort of is really sweet. Actually, <laughs> I'm really really pleased. Yeah, good advert for Channel Islands Rugby. Not the, not the closest match uh, in terms of the scoreline in the end. But as well, another great occasion. I thought the support down there on the old club pitch was fantastic. The noise, particularly when some of those tries were, um, were being run in, was, yeah, it was fantastic. And it, yes, it's an occasion that seems to be developing every year. I think it sometimes helps when you've got a PE teacher from the local school playing <laughs> and scoring a, a great try and almost scoring another great try. And Megan Seward um, had her own little fan club down there. She, she spotted it during the game. She suddenly pointed out to one of her teammates, that's a banner over there's for me sort of thing. <laughs> um, but no, it, it was great. They got a lot of support from um, from the, uh, the veterans who sort of hung around after their game and also... Um, uh, the the Siam Cup side who were sort of just just had sort of arrived in prepar- in preparation for their game as well, but it was it was a really good atmosphere and also um, uh, I noticed sort of just as kickoff um, was coming up, I noticed that a certain man in uh, a GFC tracksuit had had headed over from their football game, um, big foul Colin Fallais to come and watch his daughter, and he managed to see her score the opening try of the game, and she had a great game, Amy. So it was it was a good day all round for the ladies. Yeah, really nice moment, and for both sides, the women and the men, plenty more rugby to play this season. It's not your usual kind of done and dusted after the Siam. Um, the men straight back into action away from home. Yep, they're away. They've got a big game at Clifton, who are a good side. They're sixth at the moment, and um, they're sort of um, one of these sides who have beaten others by a long way. So, and Jordan tells me they're very much an attacking force. They're not that interested in defence, apparently, Clifton. They just like to score tries, so it, it should be a good game. Um, I think Jordan is going to be missing that one. He's um, become a father for the first time this week. So uh, Congratulations, Jordan. Yeah, Guernsey um, are going to... They won't have their ears roasted quite <laughs> as much as they usually do, but uh, hopefully they can get back on a, on a winning track this weekend. And what about the women? They, I know you spoke to Steve Evans after the game about... Yeah, the momentum that can inject into their season. Their confidence has been boosted by sort of successive wins now. They, they won away in the league in the week leading up to the Siam. They've obviously now won the Siam. They're, they're straight back into action again this weekend. Uh, they're playing on Sunday. Um, so the ladies, um, uh, they've, they're building momentum. They're, 
the, their newbies are gaining experience every game, getting better every game. Um, so I, I think there's um, plenty of things to look forward to this season for them. As I said before, we've got two more signs to come this season in May. Back to back. Uh, over in Jersey and then back here uh, in Guernsey. I think I might book June off <laughs> next year. because might be needed to play in one of those games. <laughs> <don't you? laughs> yeah, everyone's going to need a lie down after that. So that's the Siam done and dusted. We've got another interview coming up, haven't we, down at the hockey club in a couple of weeks' time. Plenty more build-up to come. In fact, we'll be doing a bit of a, a hockey preview special next week, so keep an eye out for that or an ear out for that. Um, Let's just talk about two of our outstanding young individuals then um, in quite different pursuits. Uh, let's start with Ollie Chedham because uh, some big news for him this week, Gareth, that he's off to following the footsteps of some Ryder Cup heroes. Yeah, he's, um, he's qualified for the Junior European Open, which um, the Champions final, Finals Week, as they call it, um, which is going to be in February in Spain next year. It's um, a tournament which has seen the likes of Justin Rose, Luke Donald and um, Nick Doherty playing before. So um, it's obviously a very prestigious event. Um, yeah, speaking to Ollie, he went off. He, he went off um, during half term to play a few rounds, and he sort of managed to get in a couple of qualifiers. He wasn't sure if he'd be of a good, good enough standard to get there. He just wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, in the first time he played at the Wiltshire Club, he um, he was one shot off qualification, and then um, he was told going to Lingfield that the top two would qualify. He came third, so he was obviously quite disappointed by that, and then. Um, Got back home, and a couple of days later, a letter arrived through the post saying, congratulations, you're on your way to Spain in February. So he's obviously delighted, and it just really tops off what's been a fantastic season for Ollie. He's now playing off uh, plus three, and um, it's it's just incredible how his, his um, upward trajectory just hasn't stopped, basically, since he's, since he's been a teenager, really. He's now 17. He's only just turned 17. And, um, yeah, he's, he's, I think he's looking forward to a bit of off time in the, in the winter. He's not going to get it now. So he's going to be, um, he's going to be practicing every week so that he's ready for, for Spain in, at the start of February. Yeah, it's a bit of extra motivation, isn't it, in all those sort of cold, wet and windy nights at the range? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, fantastic news for Ollie. Um, in fact, uh, he's not going to be the only uh, Guernsey sportsman in Spain in February um, because we've got confirmation of, of who Griffins will be playing in the Champions League of European cricket. Yeah, in the T10 event, um, they're actually, there the following week after Ollie's been playing golf so um, yeah Griffins will be playing the champions of I think it's Ireland Hungary Bulgaria Croatia and Norway I think in their group which will <laughs> take Don't part talk in to us about T10s, yeah, we're not no. going to mention T10 to Rob who'd want to be a bowler in a T10 <laughs> competition or for that matter a lower order batsman <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's if they talk, what's it, the point Tony what's the well, point well I think you know, quick suggestion. I think we're going to have to go there and find out ourselves. Rob. Okay, yeah. yeah. Can, we, can we get a couple of weeks in Spain in February? <laughs> Good grief! T <laughs> twenties, <laughs> yes, but not, oh, even the hundred, yes, but T tens. More to come on Griffins. We'll, uh, we'll perhaps me and Gareth can take care of that one. Um, uh, yeah, and, and talking about uh, you know exceptional young uh, sports people, Seb Prio uh, over in the states, a little bit more, uh, or a little bit further afield. He is right in contention for a title over in the Porsche Carrera Cup, and that comes to a conclusion in the next 24, 48 hours. Yeah, that's right. Um, Seb's gone to the final meeting of the season at Road Atlanta um, with a 64-point lead in the Porsche Carrera Cup North America. There's three races still to go in the season. I think there's 90 points up for grabs, so you'd have to say he's a pretty pretty hot favourite now, surely, to tie up the title, especially now after... Um, Yesterday's qualifying, I think he's got pole for, for the first race for sure. So um, it could be a case of sort of 
yeah, like you say, Tony, in 24 hours, he could be champion of that um, of that series. Yeah, well, we wish him all the best, of course. Um, plenty more to come on Seb, I'm sure, uh, next week. So, uh, yeah, good luck to him. Uh, Rob, what else is going on this weekend or this week? Anything else you're going to be... Uh... Well, GFC, obviously, got a home game again on Saturday. They're playing Westfield, um, a foot's lane, back to normal two o'clock Saturday kickoff. Um, uh, let's hope we get that a win. You know, Westfield sort of lower mid-table. So, look, we would think that's one of the teams, I'm sure, Tony Vance is thinking that we can we can get three points against. Um, um, I thought last week's game, uh, it showed that, you know, we were still very reliant on Ross Allen to produce a bit of magic up front. And um, we missed Charlton Govine. Let's hope he's back. Um, we haven't got sort of confirmed team news quite yet, but um, I want to hope he's back. Um, we'll hope Frank Tobin's back as well because I thought we badly missed him. But, you know, let's hope good forecast, big crowd down Foots Lane and um, uh, three points for the lads. Fingers crossed. Let's leave it there, guys. Thanks very much. Uh, as ever, another reminder, do follow us on social media and, and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and do pick up a paper for the best local sports coverage six days a week. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers, Tony. Cheers.